Hey, welcome to Theology Thursday, everybody. Kevin successfully pressed the button at the right time. I don't know. I don't think Isaac liked it. <laughs> Isaac baby steps. Was it a little bit? Was it a little late? It's baby for your steps. Taste still? Baby steps, man. We're getting better. Now, everybody who's watching this live right now, I'm just I'm happy because it means you got on YouTube, saw that the presidential debate was still happening, and thought, no, I would rather watch Theology Thursday. Mm-hmm. How many people you think thought that? All of them. All every single one of you guys. Hey, everybody! So cool to have you guys here live. Ruth, Ellen, the blesses, Adolfo, Tejas, all the way from Texas, watching. Miss you, buddy. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy time in the U.S. We're not going to yeah, comment for a thousand reasons. Yeah, exactly. For and a lot actually, of reasons. you know, that was an accidental segue, but it kind of does connect to what we're going to talk about tonight. We've been talking about. It's sort of weird. We've been talking about false doctrines. So we talked about the prosperity gospel and mm. some of the health and healing doctrines. And what we're talking about tonight, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not necessarily a false doctrine because it's, it's really more of kind of a collection of teachings and, some, and kind of a phenomenon also. Yeah, it's something that's like, happening. I think we said this last week or two weeks ago, but similar to Gnosticism in the second and third century, there's a sort of kind of cultural atmosphere if you will and that is kind of in the air and so it's not like you google what this false doctrine believes and then here's this set of 10 right. beliefs there's but no there's Bible just like a, a spirit of it in the culture and that's certainly true of of what we're talking about today yeah so we're, we're kind of talking about a, a cluster of ideas um, including things like deconstruction deconversion progressive Christianity, which we'll, we'll define a little bit in a second. Um, and all of them are sort of, like you said, it's, it's almost like a cluster of phenomena, phenomena, Kevin, certain words that I just don't say out loud because I won't say them correctly (laughs) because, well, but if you do, this is the difference between me and you, you would just say it with a hundred percent confidence. Yeah, I wouldn't. If I mispronounce it, I just, I just keep going. I'm like phenomena. Kevin, could you fact check if if that's how you say it? Um, I prefer. And some of you who are really good at detecting that, you notice that about me all the time because uh, when I was little, I had I had a speech problem, so I had to do like speech therapy because I mispronounce words all the time and stuff like that. So, um, at a certain point, you just live in fear that you'll always make a fool out of yourself, or you just let it fly just and let it act fly. confident. Isaac, I remember at a sermon where you said "sheeps" as the plural of sheep, but like ten times, and I was like, "Everyone's yeah. going to leave." The way Isaac is, everyone's going to leave church, and they're going to be convinced that they were wrong. Yeah, and they'll all be saying sheep's after. You just say, this. I just say, you know, actually both are correct. You look it up, Google it. Yeah, go home. Well, Google you know, if you really get into the difference between descriptive and yeah. prescriptive grammar, you realize etymologically speaking. Yeah, see that? They, <laughs> see I how like that it. works? I like it. It's good. <laughs> so I completely derailed myself, but the, this kind of cluster of phenomenons that uh, are all associated with a movement away from historic Christianity and toward a kind of modernization of Christianity. Mm-hmm that fits better with the current cultural climate. Would you say that's kind of a fair way to? Yes, but I would say that those in those camps wouldn't say we believe these things because we just want to fit Absolutely. in. Yeah. We are being faithful to what we truly believe is, is true. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them will identify this as a new reformation. That's something you see thrown around quite a bit, yeah. that the church is going through another reformation. So it's not that we're leaving it because it's uncomfortable. We're we're trying to get Christianity back to what it's really all about. Yeah. Um, and so one term that we're using, and again, I should disclaim this because we're going to show a bunch of clips. We're using, we're, it's all under fair use. So we're, because we're making commentary on these videos, we're allowed to show them. Um, 
And part of why we're showing them is because we don't want to misrepresent anyone. We don't want to do any straw man arguing. We want you to hear directly from the proponents of this movement or these movements what they actually think. Yeah, and you could always YouTube the the title of of the videos or Google what we're talking about so you can hear stuff in further context because we don't want to straw man the arguments, but we want to let you get a real taste of what they're, they're actually believing and articulating. Yeah. And I've done my best throughout all these weeks to not take things out of context. I'm watching these clips or the videos that these clips are from in their entirety. I'm trying really hard not to misrepresent anybody. So um, if that happens, it's definitely not on purpose. Now, deconstruction, which is kind of one of the central ideas here, is um, something that is starting to happen more and more in the public eye, where you have prominent Christian leaders who talk about deconstructing their Christian beliefs. Yeah. And deconstruction at the simplest level is what it sounds like. It's taking something apart to kind of mm-hmm. expose the problems within it. Um, or maybe, you know, something you believe forever, but I've never really analyzed it in its like constituent mm-hmm. parts. What do you, you were a youth pastor for many years and now you've been a, a lead pastor for many years. What are the kinds of things that typically lead somebody to start going down that rabbit hole? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good question. There's, I mean, tons, we could, we could take the whole time talking about it, but um, from my experience, and this speaks first to probably a weakness in modern evangelical Christian teaching is people haven't actually been exposed to what Christians actually believe. Mm. Um, and so you kind of just go to church your whole life and Jesus loves everybody and he forgives you of your sins and he's really cool and he's like your best friend. You could talk to him whenever you want. And he totally understands and he knows your name and he loves you. I mean, and, it, and a lot of that's, of course, Jesus loves you and he knows your name, but you don't get exposed to the entirety of scripture. And there's hard stuff in the scriptures. There's hard stuff about the claims of Christianity. I mean, the first Christians believed their message was offensive. The, the message of Christ was a stumbling block. You had to yeah. trip over Christ to get to the truth in a sense. And so um, a lot of problem passages in the Old Testament about violence, God appearing to to just be angry. Yeah. Even a general feeling that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament don't seem to be the same character. Yeah. What's up with that, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like, okay, and, and there's this kind of false understanding that God, yeah, Old Testament God, man, he's mad, don't cross him, but Jesus is really nice. Um, that gets you into bad atonement theories and a bad understanding of the atonement as if God the Father is the angry God and Jesus is your nice big brother and God the Father has to beat his son up on the cross because otherwise he was going to have to do it to you. And it's just like really bad understandings um, that aren't nuanced understandings of the atonement. Also, just the problem of evil is yeah, big. Huge. Um, Christianity, um, despite what people like to say, like Christianity isn't about um, rules. It's about a relationship. Yes, it's about a relationship, but there are actually commands in scripture. It's not as if Jesus just says, hey, it's all about a relationship. The Sermon on the Mount has stuff, has things that you ought to live under. Um, And so you get exposed to to commands in scripture that you don't get. Problem passages. Um, You get exposed to the exclusivity claims of Christianity that Jesus is consistently saying, I am the only way. Um, and so all of those things people get exposed to, particularly in their late high school to college years. It's becoming earlier and earlier now because of the internet. But um, you go through church, going through youth group and children's ministry, and you don't, you don't really get exposed to that stuff. And then it just hits you. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you brought up a perfect example. I mean, if you're dealing with the atonement and somebody says, you know, for the first time, you know, hey, that God had to beat up 
his son, who's yeah. also God, so that he wouldn't beat you up. And if the only thing you've ever heard is Jesus died on the cross for my sins with no level yeah. of explanation of how does that work? Yeah. And what do Christians mean? What is it, you know, what does a man dying on a cross 2000 years ago have to do with my sins? Yeah. Um, if the first time you're exposed to that question is a college class, you know, where you're surrounded mm -hmm. by new friends and a new, I mean, that's stereo, it's a stereotype, but it's because there's a lot of truth to it. Again and again. And just the weird stuff. So some, so, you know, there's memes that's like, don't you know the Bible says thou shall not eat shrimp. And then it right. shows a Christian at a youth event eating shrimp. And it's like, you hypocrite. Yeah. Or it shows um about pork or something like that. And there's one with Tim Tebow throwing a football or something yeah. like that. And it's like, says this and this about non-Christians, but doesn't even know his own Bible. He's throwing a football. Yeah. There's that famous one that makes the rounds every couple of years, unfortunately, from a show that I love from the West Wing. Have you seen yeah, that one? Yeah. That's um, the president from that show kind of like giving this evangelical Christian lady just a beat down with all these Old Testament Bible passages and yeah. saying like, you don't obey this one and this one and this one. Um, and the, the upsetting thing for people like the three of us in the room as pastors who think deeply about mm -hmm. this kind of stuff is that most of these questions, not most, all of these questions have answers. Yeah. Uh, but there's most people aren't given... Uh, the space or it's not the right, it doesn't, the questions don't hit them at the right time um, to pursue the answer from people who, who genuinely yeah. and know. And it's a fair critique upon churches Absolutely. is that we don't, we don't get people in the Bible. We are a people of the book. And if you're reading the Bible, you are going to confront these issues at an early age and you'll be able to ask them to ask questions to your parents, your pastor, and hopefully, and this is proven to not be the case, unfortunately, but hopefully your pastors have wrestled with these things right. and have gone through them and studied them. But it's not as if like that meme that's making fun of the Christian eating shrimp, it's like, oh, we got you. Right. You Christians never knew that. Right. It's not as if there's 2,000 years of thousands of books yeah. written the smartest, on these Some topics. of the smartest people in human history trying to understand yeah. this. Oh, the obsessive gardener's here. By the way, you guys, the Obsessive Gardener has a channel where he eats incredibly spicy peppers. I've watched several videos. We're still trying. He's, he's calling us out, justifiably so, because we said we were going to come um, to his Obsessive Garden and eat some of his peppers. That's fake news. I've never said that. Isaac never said that, but we're going to make him come because we're going to go get super good food after. Are you in now? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen videos. He makes his own hot sauce. I don't eat peppers or hot sauce without tacos, obsessive gardener. So let's just leave it at that. Yeah, there you go. You got to sweeten the pot a little bit, obsessive. Um, so a, uh, a sort of related term that gets misunderstood a lot that's worth defining because we'll probably mm -hmm. use it as we go is progressive Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, and because there's the word progressive most commonly is used to talk about politics, People think progressive Christianity and think you're talking about someone who's liberal politically yeah. and also a Christian. And there might be some incidental overlap there, but that's not what progressive Christianity means. Yeah, and with, what's weird is that's that can be the case in this country, but in some countries, right. the liberal theologians are more conservative politically and yeah. vice versa. So it's really weird. Um, so just don't lump in multiple categories and put them all together. When we're talking about progressive Christianity, we're talking about a the theology. Right. And to be clear that that's a huge spectrum of progressive Christianity. Um, you, there are people who are so conservative that they could just look at me and go, yeah. he's obviously progressive Christian. Totally. Or the fact that you, you know, if we serve communion in a plastic cup, that's yeah, progressive. It, it, exactly. And then there's, there's people who are so progressive that, you know, 
I'm like a fundamentalist yeah. to them. And we're going to watch plenty of videos of that tonight. Yeah. And I, I guess the kind of the core philosophical idea is that progressive Christianity is Christianity that progresses theologically. Like that sounds really dumb, but the idea is it's a set of beliefs that say that Christianity should be progressing. It doesn't, you don't stay the same, mm. you change. And so, you know, you have to kind of roll with to some extent. And again, they're not going to say this, but you have to progress with history and adjust. Yeah, and even that's weird because you can be a progressive Christian and have your arguments be based on the fact that you believe what you believe right now, not be you believe it because it's progressed what Christianity looked like 100 years ago, right. but it actually is more in line with what the early church right. thought. Which is what the, you know, to be fair, that's what the reformers were saying 500 exactly. years ago. So right? it's very, very difficult to, to pin this stuff down. But you can see in the stuff we're showing, we'll look at today is that there's a kind of general feel. Once you, once you read enough of it, you can kind of get a feel for it. Yeah, and you'll see, and that's why showing clips is so helpful because it, it allows you to hear from people who would call themselves progressive Christians, many of them, um, what they're talking about. So let's jump into some clips. Yeah, you want to yeah. watch a couple? So the first couple of clips we're going to show are from a, a teacher named Rob Bell. Um, Rob Bell, huge, hugely famous, hugely influential, and um, to be perfectly frank, used to kind of be our tribe, wouldn't you say? I mean, he was a... Uh, yeah, and he would say that. He totally. would say, I started off in the conservative evangelical movement, and then I shifted into more just a general evangelical movement, and then I shifted a little bit more, and now he's, he would say, he would say, I'm not in the kind of conservative evangelical right. or even moderately cons conservative. And anymore. this is what one of the big challenges, and this is why we want to talk about this, at least one of the main reasons, is because you have to start thinking critically about where do you jump the shark completely and you're no longer Christian. Because mm. all the people we're going to show tonight would still say that they are Christian. Yeah. And um, and so part of what we have to talk about and look at is like, at what point have you left that behind? Yeah, every the, the analogy I, I've used in the past is, is that of like you carry three bags um, yeah. with you as a Christian all the time. And in, in each bag you have different doctrines. And there's this one really small bag where you put doctrines that that you believe are essential. Like if you get rid of this bag, like you're not a Christian anymore type yeah. of thing. Then there's a much larger bag, what we'll call secondary issues, where it's like Christians agree to disagree on these issues. There's tons of diversity. Presbyterians baptize infants. Right. Uh, believers, Baptists, churches won't do that. You have to become a certain age. We could agree to disagree. How on often this do you practice communion? Yeah. And then there's a third bag of stuff where you go... Um, this doesn't move you outside of Christianity, but I think it, it could be dangerous. So let's say you hold to some social issue or something like that. You don't think it's it's theologically essential for salvation, although you might argue fiercely yes. about it. And so there's those different categories, and everyone has to decide where what you put in what, what bag. And some people come to the point where it's just, you know, nothing matters yeah. type of thing on the far extreme. The obsessive gardener says he has running bets with a friend that Pastor Isaac is a Calvinist. You'll get no comment from him tonight. That's I would true. just say that Isaac is uh, Isaac holds whatever theological position was foreordained from him since no, no. Creation. I mean, I that's <laughs> that's ridiculous. I I typically hold to to what the Protestant reformers taught, what Paul the Apostle taught, and Jesus Christ taught. Yeah. So whatever that is, that's what you believe. Yeah. That's what everybody says from whatever view yep. they hold, though. Um, all right, so let's jump into some some clips here, Kevin. If you could pull up again, um, this is Rob Bell, and this is sort of at the beginning of him sort of starting to tip away from traditional Christianity. 
most of my prayers sound like? Here, you take it. <laughs> really straightforward. God, being, spirit, essence, Jesus, whatever language you want to use. A number of my prayers, the prayers that I often find myself. So that's the moment where it's the only time in this whole talk where he kind of gives something away and it, go, it comes and goes really fast yeah. and stuff like this often does. But in the middle of this talk, this guy who has been a mega church pastor and a Christian leader says, he's saying, this is what my prayers look like. And he's mm -hmm. hypothetically addresses it to universe, God, essence, spirit, Jesus, whatever language whatever. you want to use. Yeah. And it's that, it's almost that whatever that's the yeah. scariest moment there. Um, and so it's that, that's an example I would say of if you're someone who's in the midst of deconstruction and you're seeing that you're going, okay, so this is, yeah. you know, this is maybe a direction I could. Lean. The thing that's, that's weird about that. And we, I think you use the word scary or something. There, there's certain people who, and I don't, I don't hold to this, but there's certain people that would say, you know, the God of the three Abrahamic religions is, is the same God right. or something like that. But, but in that case, you're still at least trying to argue that there's some objectivity. Yeah. Like there's this one God and he appeared this way in this culture, in this culture. Yeah. And there's, there's an a, ontological reality toward which you're directing. And there's still a respect for yeah. that deity. The second you say, yeah, whatever you call it, it, it makes the word so flexible that it, loses any semblance of what the word is actually trying to communicate. When we talk about God, that is the being at the top of all hierarchies. And so to talk about it in such a meh way, doesn't really matter who it is, is yeah. would be offensive to Muslims, Christians, Jews. Um, so and it, it's really weird in an attempt to be flexible to all religions, you're actually offending a lot of very religious people. Yeah, and frankly, the, the, the majority of the planet yeah, yeah. If you want to be honest about, you know, how many people believe in a, a, like a one God religion, a monotheistic. Just call it whatever you want. It, it, it's yeah. Most, most religious people wouldn't be on board with that. And there's a bit of a showing of his hand there. I think that's that, you know, I'm not necessarily committed to a particular idea here. Here's another video from him. It's also about prayer. This one's quick and we'll show two in a row. He is, I think I'm too far back. He says, most of my prayers look like this. Prayer to me is usually one word, which is yes. Yes, I'm open, what's next? That's what it is. Now again, he's not outlining doctrine at all there. That made Kevin laugh for some reason, by the way. You guys can't hear that, but Kevin, I don't know if you, you just like to smile at the end, huh, Kevin? I'm sorry, that's just dumb. <laughs> oh, dang, dang, shots fired. Dang. Why, you guys wonder why we keep Kevin behind the buttons. No, yeah. It's because of honesty like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. There's a part of me that really resonates with that in the sense like, yes, I just want to be open to what God, but a lot of the times it's no, yeah. no, because in prayer, I'm convicted right. of, of sin in my life. Jesus a, Christ praying says, God, this is what I want, Yes, but I'll do what you want. You yeah. know what I mean? So there's yeah. a wrestling even for the son of God in the incarnation. And so, yes, there's a sense in which we want to be open to God, but um, there are there are times in prayer where it's agony. I mean, Jesus is crying, yeah. tears of blood in agony over what's before him. And so in one sense, yes, there's a time and a place where you're just, yes, Lord, whatever you have, but that's not, 
that's not real life 100% yeah. of the time. And, and this is sort of where my hypercritical brain immediately goes. When I see a video clip like that, my first kind of radar is, if most of your prayers look like that, you are no longer praying according to how the Bible tells you to pray. Yeah. Because Jesus true. told you how to pray, and he did not say, you know, when you pray, do it like this. Yes. That's true. He says, you know, align your will with the will of God and pray, pray along these lines. Mm -hmm. He's giving kind of a template, but it's not just, hey, just express openness towards the universe. You know, there's a... Yes. And it's, it's not to whomever right. you want. It's our father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. One more from Rob Bell. I actually think Jesus would be mortified that a religion started in his name. I think he'd be like, you what? Uh, I think Jesus came to wake us up and remind us of the shared humanity, the, the brother and sisterness of all of us. Um, this is a great example of how a lot of the time when someone starts sharing theology that's veering away from Christianity, sort of like you've said this a couple mm -hmm. times about the previous videos, you want to agree with a lot of what they're saying. Yeah, who doesn't want to agree with that? Yeah. But the problem is the actual words of Jesus. Right. So when he, Jesus is confronted by people that are disagreeing with him, he doesn't remind them of their shared brotherhood. Right. He tells them, your father, the devil, right. whom you serve. Yeah, exactly. He identifies them not as sons and daughters with a shared humanity. I mean, this is super offensive. I mean, it's much more culturally acceptable to be, hey, the we're all humanity. brothers and sisters, the shared humanity. But Jesus also in the midst of his very loving and accepting and forgiving message still calls evil evil. And when people like the Pharisees were participating in evil, he didn't identify his, his point wasn't at that point to talk about their shared humanity. He was to say, you're serving your father, the devil. Yeah. And he actually, in, in Ephesians, Paul speaks of Christians being freed from the father of, right. of lies and being transferred over from, from the kingdom of darkness yeah. into the kingdom of life. In, in which you once walked. So in there's like super willing. Offensive. No one and, wants to hear that. And it's, you know, it's just, and you'll see this more and more, like some these clips get crazier and crazier to a certain extent, or I should say, I shouldn't say crazy. They get farther and farther from traditional Christian doctrine. But one shared thing you'll see is a lot of progressive, progressive Christianity starts to lean into a sort of universalist, panentheist, new age kind of, we have a shared connection and we just yeah. have to become awakened to that. Um, and so the implication there to, it's not to, it would be one thing if Rob Bell said, Jesus came to restore to us our shared humanity. That's yes. still not quite right. Yeah, or Jesus has, has come to draw us into the one worldwide family of adopted sons and daughters yeah. of, of God. Yeah. That, to use biblical language, that's what you would do. Is we've been, God wants to adopt us into his family. Right. Um, but, not, but to remind us of our shared humanity implies the only thing that's wrong is your perception of yourself. Yeah, and part of that, theologically, it gets into something called ontology where there's, there's an over-realized actuality. And what I mean by that is something has actually already happened. You just need to awaken. You just, right. It's already happened. You're already good. You're already there. You're already this. You just don't know it yet. Um, and... Sometimes that's true. Sometimes you need to tell a Christian, you've already been forgiven. Stop stop condemning yeah. yourself. And sometimes you need to tell someone, get out of bed and get to work. Yeah. Like it's not like, oh, you've already arrived at your job. Yeah. No, nah, man, get up. Yeah, and some and sometimes it's the message of the most loving message you can give someone is you are cut off from true humanity until you bow the knee to mm -hmm. the savior. 
Um, which again, not very popular. No, no one wants to hear that. Now, a lot of the issues here come from, and these, this is what the next few clips reveal, that when you lose your, your like single basis for truth, which for traditional Christianity, historic Christianity has always been the Bible. So mm -hmm. this is the, the way that we get the revealed words of the authority over our lives. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's what you have to fall back on. That's what allows you to start wiggling on some of this stuff. And here's some kind of clear, like just a clear and direct statement on that from um, somebody who's very, very popular on the internet, a self-proclaimed progressive Christian named Nadia Boltz Weber. I don't know if you've heard of her. Successful um, author. Yeah. And she's she's pretty extreme, she I would pastors, say. She pastors, I forget in what state. Uh, I forget. It's, it's on a blank. Yeah, me too. I want to say, no, I'm mixing her up with somebody else. But she pastors a church um, and she also writes books. And she's known for, for some pretty extreme views on, on... She's edgy. Super edgy. You can tell just by looking at her. But listen to what she says what about say the about Bible. Me. For the Bible is not God. The Bible is simply the cradle that holds Christ. Anything in the Bible that does not hold up to the gospel of Jesus Christ simply does not have the same authority. Number now, again, the first half of that, you kind of go, oh, okay, like, I could... I get that. I get the Bible is not God. Of course mm -hmm. we believe that. But when she but then she says something really interesting that changes the entire dynamic for how you do authority theologically. And she says, anything in the Bible that doesn't match up with Jesus and his gospel doesn't have the same authority. Yeah. So you're creating a canon within a canon that's interpreted by your understanding of yeah. Jesus and his gospel. Because where do you get your understanding of Jesus and the gospel? Right. It's the Bible. Right. And for the last 2,000 years, the majority of Christians in good, in good healthy theological time frames have said that you yeah. trust the interpreters of that gospel in the Bible. So that's the authors of the New Testament, right? Yeah. And here's, here, you mentioned a canon within a canon. This is, this is the problem. Is people think, okay, there's some, real, there's some controversial stuff that Paul said, some stuff that Peter said, some stuff that John said. Yeah, but what, you know, even though, we don't have to focus on that. What we need to focus on, focus on is what Jesus actually said, the red letters of the Bible. Right. We focus on what Jesus said, and when Paul disagrees with what Jesus said, Paul has to be wrong. We have to filter Paul through what Jesus said. Here's the problem. Jesus didn't write the book. Right. You don't have access to yes. what Jesus said unfiltered. You are reading the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you're reading the epistles and the writings of the first followers of Jesus. So even the words of Jesus that you have have already come through the first followers of Jesus. Right. There is no, this is the gospel according to me, Jesus, right. the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. Everything comes to us by the eyewitness accounts of the first Christians, the apostles. Right. So you can't even philosophically have a canon within a canon, even if it was theologically sound to do so. Right, and, if, and you can't begin to take certain parts of the Bible and go, I like this and I don't like this, because the, the issues that you have with Paul also apply to, like you said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, a lot of evidence says some of Paul's stuff is much earlier, not much earlier, but could be earlier than, yeah. than at least some of the Gospels. Um, and so you just... Well, one you, of the earliest accounts and undisputed, I mean, even outside of evangelical Christianity is 1 Corinthians. We have a very early reference to the gospel that was entrusted to the first followers of Jesus. And in it is the message of, of Christ dying 
according to the scriptures. So embedded in the closest thing we have to a definition of the gospel is Paul making the claim that the first Christians believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the long story taking place in the Old Testament scriptures. Yeah, and so you have this kind of, this driving back to the text. And so you can do, you can have issues with that. I mean, these are things that, that many Christians can and reasonably should struggle with. It's a very strange yeah. thing to rely on a book that's this old, that's been translated. Um, and it's, like we said earlier, this is one of the things that can drive people down a deconstruction road. So that's not a bad thing in and of itself. The problem is, it sounds really good to say anything that doesn't comport with Jesus and his gospel doesn't have the same authority. To, to Michael Perez's question, where are they going to check what Jesus's gospel is? And you know, the answer to that, Michael, is it's different for every one of these teachers, but a lot of them will say, well, Jesus was about love and acceptance and inclusivity and blah, 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 and you know, all of that. So the Bible, you know, if Paul doesn't agree with that, Paul's a man of his time. You can't expect a first, yeah. it, you can't expect a first century Jewish man from a patriarchal society to really understand the radical message of love that Jesus was bringing. So you have to filter it through that. Um, but again, to your point, the Gospels were all also written by first century Jewish men living in that same exact culture. Yeah. Um, so once the Bible goes, this is a huge one. Um, and this is something to just be on guard for, frankly, is that once the Bible goes, it's very often the first domino theologically. Wouldn't you say? That inerrancy of scripture is one of the first things that has to get kind of yeah, whittled at away. Least, and even if it's not inerrancy, an authority or... Yeah trustworthiness or a commitment that this is our book and we come to submit ourselves underneath it. Yeah. The second you're above it in some sense is when you start to, to see it, see the slippery slope. And everyone always goes, people make slippery slope arguments and they're not always truth. Sure. Sometimes right. slippery slope arguments are wrong, but sometimes you, the slope slippery, man, s- sometimes it real slippery. <laughs> All right, let's keep cruising. Here's another Nadia Boltz Weber thing, and this is this is a good example of um, sliding towards universalism, which somebody pointed out earlier as well. There's nothing you can do that cannot be redeemed by God, and don't let the language get in the way. Like I do not have a dog in your fight, so if it helps, there is nothing the universe can't make right, or that Buddha cannot hold, or that Our Lady Beyonce cannot slay. Whatever, <laughs> what. <laughs> Blessed be your name. Whatever <laughs> name. Now, she's obviously trying to be provocative and funny, but, but slipping in really gigantic theological claims in the midst of what is basically a joke in the middle of her sermon is, you know, hey, sort of like you said before, I, it, the name doesn't matter. The ontological being that we're talking about doesn't matter if it's that Jesus can hold, you know, your needs or, or, yeah. or whatever. It, it could be Buddha. It could be Beyonce. And she's, again, she's trying to make a joke and sort of like a shock joke. Yeah, certain things way. shouldn't joke about. Yeah, and it, and it reveals gigantic theological problems. Kevin pointed out, go back to my, my screen real quick, Kevin. Kevin pointed out that these dudes don't look like they're super happy about it either, which is Well, funny. again, that's to the point earlier where educated liberals in America, theological liberals might believe that that sounds in inclusive and hey, everyone's invited. Right. But the people who actually around the, and not everybody, but many people around the world who are devout Muslims or devout Christians or devout Jews, they're going, that's offensive to me. 
Right. Everything I believe in, everything my people have believed in, everything that's kept my my ancestors together, all of that, you're just throwing around so lightly if it's no big deal. So it gets laughed in our cultural context, but for many people, it's very offensive. Yeah. And, and if you and I were sitting here and I am a conservative Christian and you're a conservative Muslim, and somebody said to us, look, it doesn't matter if it's Jesus or if it's Muhammad and, and you know, it was just, yeah. we would be like, whoa, hold on. That matters tremendously mm -hmm. to us. And it's disrespectful, frankly, to flatten everything and act like it's the same. Yeah. We have major disagreements. Um, and so, so that's part of the, it's a really good point. Um, and we'll say, we'll say some similar stuff probably about the soteriology of these movements, this kind of inclusivity and acceptance of everybody as we go. Um, the next guy we're going to look at a few clips from is, um, Richard Rohr, he's a friar in the Franciscan order. Um, and he's, he is on the extreme, I would say, but also hugely popular. So Big where, time. where Nadia Boltz Weber is, um, kind of like fringy on purpose and wants to be provocative and shocking by design. Um, Richard Rohr is extremely loving, extremely yeah. likable. He already is likable, yeah, man. It's like, like, that's man. Is that my grandpa? You could sit on his lap man. and ask him for a Christmas present. Yeah, that's Santa Claus, man. Um, and it's Santa Claus with his summer vacation clothes on. But he, he's he's kind of Rick Warren with the Hawaiian T-shirt yeah, on. Got a Rick Warren vibe, and he's a he's a good speaker and a good writer, and um, really really loved. And he's one of those people that it's very normal to find, um, you know, a conservative Christian who has his books in their house. Um, and I've you yeah, and I have read some total. I mean, just grandpa vibe, just like Kevin Curzon name, nice grandpa vibe there. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't look that old, but he does look a little like yeah, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, maybe, um, maybe a little younger. Kevin, show the people your, your face. I don't think we've gotten to see you yet. Come tonight. on, man. Don't be bashful. Come on. He ain't going to flip it over now. See, he's <laughs> he's, a, yeah. Not he's when being bashful. Uh, <laughs> he's I'm, a little shy sometimes. I'm pretty sure Richard Rohr is like 25 years older than Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind. That's gracious. <laughs> so um, the reason why it's important to show this is because, um, to be frank, you will get a lot of people who believe that this is somebody who's just teaching a different way of talking about traditional Christianity. Um, but s the stuff that he'll say completely plainly um, reveals that it's, it's very, very progressive. Let's, let's, uh, let's watch this first one. Explains very much that we're clearly unfolding and the second coming of Christ is you and the second coming of Christ is still happening it's not one event, it's the rest of history. But uh, because we didn't understand the Christ, we didn't know how to think that way. And he's going to continue to unpack what he means by the Christ. And this whole lecture, by the way, Richard Rohr on the universal Christ, um, if you want to understand the core of a lot of these um, kind of progressive Christian beliefs that a lot of people who go through a deconstruction land in, this is like one of the figureheads of that movement. Huge. And a lot of what he teaches is distilled into this lecture. So I, I, it's a good one to watch yeah. if you're interested. And in the title of the that. lecture is actually the title of his, of, of a book that came out roughly a year ago, the universal yeah. Christ. So this talk was the year before it came out and this is him kind of like explaining at a conference or something, the basic ideas of the book. And so, um, I, I'm doing my best to not take his quotes out of context, but we can't show the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. And so, you know, Sam and I, but we, when that book came out, we both read it. Right. So it's, it's not trying to do any, our, our goal would be that if someone was here and we showed the clip and made our comment, they would disagree with us right. and say, you're wrong. 
this is what the gospel actually is, and you're wrong, this is who the Christ actually is, but that they wouldn't disagree with how we're describing what they believe. And that's what you should always, always do. Don't misrepresent your opponent. Pretend they're in the room and pretend they're going to disagree with you and think you're an idiot. And give the best possible version. But you're still accurately representing them. So this just straightforward. Richard Rohr says the second coming is all of us, and it's going to unfold all throughout history. Now, that's an interesting idea, but it is not a Christian idea at no. all. I mean, not remotely. No Christian for 2,000 years believed that. I mean, there might have been a yeah, couple I'm or probably, some. I mean, I'm, some there's, I'm overstating yeah. it. But there were time periods when he would have been burned at the stake for thinking that. Um, not that we agree with that either, obviously. Now, let's, uh, well, Kevin, what do you think about that? How do you feel about stake burning as a punishment for heresy? Kevin don't like him, man. He's a good guy. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I called Rob Bell's prayer thing dumb. That's true. Yeah, but you're loving, man. You're a good guy. Yeah, we all know if there was one person in the room who'd be okay with stake burning as a punishment for heretics, it wouldn't be Kevin. All right, let's show that next clip. Let's show that next clip. You were chosen in Christ from the very beginning. That's a quote, by the way, I should say, just for context, that's a quote from Colossians or Ephesians. You were chosen in Christ. The problem is solved. There's not an apple problem to be solved later by an atonement theory. I hesitate to raise that word because I know you're going to ask me about it. But the atonement theory was a rather late creation. We Franciscans never believed it. And those. So he says at the very beginning, you are already mm-hmm. chosen. And he says, there's no problem to be solved. If we had time to watch the kind of entire thing, he really goes into even greater detail about what he's saying. But he's saying very straightforwardly, there is no sin problem. There's no apple in the garden problem that needs to be solved. And then he says, and maybe you could speak to this because your church history knowledge is is better than mine. He just, as a throwaway thing says, you don't need an atonement theory. Mm -hmm. Um, Which that's not the way in the world of theology that we typically use the term atonement theory. The atonement is a theological category. Atonement theories are different ways of explaining how the atonement works. Yeah. So th- saying atonement theory, like the way he just did, is denigrating the whole idea, and it's not really fair. Like we we say it, the atonement as yeah. a established norm in Christian faith, and atonement theories are just different schemas for the, for how that yeah, might so work. Yeah. F- so again, Paul's saying this is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. It's been entrusted to us. We had to keep it, and he goes. Christ died for sins. sins. Yes. Christ died for sins. Atonement theories then try to have different ways of kind of understanding what does it mean for Christ to die for our sins. But you cannot argue, even if you're not a Christian, people believe that a Christian, most likely Paul the Apostle, but if not irrelevant, a first century Christian wrote First Corinthians. Yeah, and very, to be clear, very few scholars think it wasn't Paul yeah, with most that particular letter. Even non-Christians think it's Paul. Um, but he said Christ died for sins. All that atonement theory is is trying to figure out the inner logic of what does it mean Christ died for sins. Right. That's it. And uh, he said something earlier about, you know, you were chosen before the foundations of the world, which is true. Ephesians chapter 1. But what is completely neglected is... If there's a debate about what it means to be chosen before the foundation of the world, the debate in historic Christianity has not been, well, everybody's been chosen before the foundation of the world. It's why has not everybody been chosen? And that's where you get into the debates about free will and Calvinism, Arminianism. But the debate is, why are some people Christians and why are others in Ephesians still slaves to sin? 
Yeah, and one thing that's very common in Richard Rohr's work is he'll take a verse like that and apply it universally without doing the exegetical work to prove that Paul's talking about universal groups. Yeah, and this is to go back to our point, when you don't expose people to the Bible and you don't have them in it regularly and consistently, they just hear sound bites. Right. All you heard in a sermon from your pastor was, the Bible says you were chosen before the foundation of the world and he loves you, he knows your name, he knows the hairs on your head. Somebody comes up and quotes the little slogans that you've heard right. growing up in church and you go, he's right, I was chosen completely leaving out the rest of the context. Right. And when you're deconstructing, you're in a faith crisis, man. The fabric of your reality is being torn apart and anything that will create cohesion, anything that will create a consistent narrative to help you make sense of this world, which is right. filled of suffering suffering and pain, you're gonna gravitate and it, it makes that makes sense for you. Yeah. And that's that's where the danger comes in is, oh yeah, that's in the Bible. And it is, that yeah. is in the Bible. And that particular example, it is 100% transparent that in Ephesians 1, he's talking to Christians. So when yes. he tells them, you were chosen, he's talking to the Adelphoi, the brothers and sisters, yeah. not everybody. And he says before that, you were dead in sin, slaves to Satan. Yes. And the only thing hope. that got them out was the atonement. The riches of the mercy of your heavenly father who yeah. saw fit to shower you with grace. Yeah. And so it's, it's you know, the, the, there the number of verses that make it clear that there is an atoning work that has to be done so that you can be in Christ, which he's going to talk about a little more in a minute. Um, it's just, there's so, so many. So let's keep, let's keep going because I don't want us to get too far ahead of ourselves here. Let's watch another one from the same lecture. Act after writing this book, my definition of the Christian, and it's gonna sound almost naive to most of you, a Christian is one who sees Christ everywhere else. That's it. And that's how he defines that in the book, The Universal Christ, also, that you just have to learn to see the Christ in everything. Um, to make this, to help understand what he means by that, let's watch the next one, because um, I think it's the one where he explains what he means by the Christ, because he does not mean what we mean. In general, the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are about Jesus. John is about Christ. And the reason we have so misused and misinterpreted John's Gospel is this is the eternal archetypal Christ talking. He can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about this mystery, this amalgam of matter and spirit, which is the way for everybody that you discover spirit in this material universe. That was true for the native religions, was true for Judaism, was certainly apparent in Hinduism, if you've ever been to India, where gods are everywhere, the sacred. So he goes on and on. But I mean, that's, it, that's pretty much just naked universalism at that point. Yeah, and it's bad universalism. I mean, there, there has been, in the last 2,000 years, Christian universalist, um, and although I disagree with them, the, they would at least try to argue that Christ is so awesome. Jesus Christ. They're not right. separating Jesus. That's, I mean, that's nonsense. New age we'll, get, we'll get into yeah. the separation of Jesus and the Christ. They would say that Jesus' death was so powerful and so awesome, and Christ never this fails. This is an atonement theory, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Christ never fails. And so when he dies on the cross for all men, all men shall be saved by that. Now, Again, I disagree with that, but that's at least elevating the person and work of Jesus Christ to such a degree that it is 
efficacious upon all people. Right. He's just, it's, it becomes, it's so diluted, it loses any yeah. potency to mean it. And, and it's basically what's called in theology panentheism. And he unpacks it in more detail in his book. Um, but, but the basic idea is, you know, you've got this Christ energy that's kind of unleashed upon the world at creation and it's in everything. And that's why I, the clips are kind of, they're in order chronologically, but they're out of order conceptually that he says, being a Christian is ju just means you're somebody who sees the Christ in everything. And what he means by that is the kind of Christ energy that permeates all of creation. So all it means is you need to learn to recognize the Christ in, you know, your neighbor, your enemy, so far so good. But he'll go on to be like the murderer, the, the murderer, the person who the crime, the genocide, the unrepentant. Are we evil, really mean everything? Like everything. And he, and I mean, he's talking about the flower and the pollution and the star. Like it's everything. Um, so one of the things be, is again, if you're not in the Bible consistently and regularly, some of this stuff will sound so familiar and true. You'll just want to believe it. But he makes this comment, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are talking about Jesus. And right. John is talking about the Christ and the Christ becomes this archetypical reality. It's like the Christ spirit. Yeah, and he says specifically, they're not the same. They're thing. not the same. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. In John's gospel, the one that's supposedly talking about the Christ and not the person of Jesus, the opening chapter subverts that understanding. If that could be a possible interpretation, because John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. So it's sort of like, ooh, ooh, he's right. We're not talking about the person of Jesus. We're talking about this eternal word, this eternal logos that permeates all of existence and all of reality. But then you keep reading. Okay, and then this happened and this happened. And then the climax of that chapter is verse 14. And then the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks after me. And then it says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Jesus, no one has seen God, the, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So here's the point. The Logos, if it could be some archetypical reality, the point of John's gospel is that that Logos takes up human flesh. He becomes embodied. Right. He is the God-man. And that first century human being, Jesus Christ, was witnessed by a first century John the Baptist. It is concrete. It is historical. It takes place in time and time and place. It is not archetypical. It right. is concrete flesh reality. And the person who says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life," is Jesus of Nazareth. Who th the entire point of John's gospel is summarized in John twenty, and he says, "Well, you." <laughs> so, <laughs> Tina Bless wants to know if Kevin is framing Isaac and his Pellegrino because we're going for another sponsorship. I would venture to guess that Kevin is just making sure that our lovely viewers at home don't think that Isaac's drinking Mickey's. In, in you know, <laughs> when you're a little kid, these things were disgusting. Oh, but they're so good. Carbonated no. water. And then something happens and like you cross over to like dad or old man or something. But now I'm all about it. Yeah. 
I just think I'm all about I it. think if you just saw that green glass bottle in the camera and you couldn't see the label. That's true. Kevin's just making Kevin's sure like, people know I'm not drinking a he's beer. Not, he's not drinking a, a malt liquor <laughs> at Theology <laughs> Thursday. It's carbonated we, mineral water, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's so again, John 1 1, if you have familiarity with it, don't you know? It says, in the right. beginning was the word. He's not talking about Jesus. Yeah, go to verse 13 and 14. Right. The word became flesh, and his name is Jesus Christ. And first century Jews were not separating Christ from Jesus. And if they were, Christ was not an archetypical cosmic reality. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Mashiach. It means Messiah. It's the yeah. long-awaited hope that some human would yeah. come and deliver them from literal physical oppression. And listen, and listen to this. John is one of the only authors in the entire New Testament who straight up says what his thesis is at the end of the That's book. That's true. He says why, I, why he wrote the book. And listen to what he says. Kevin, you can even bring it up because I pulled it up here. He says, it's probably hard to see. Now, Jesus, did, this is the very end, chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Man. Sorry. That Drop the mic. I wrote this so that you would believe that that Christ we're talking about is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life yeah. in his name. Now, oftentimes these people try to make a pivot at that point to be like, well, Jesus was, a, was the human being who embodied right. the Christ spirit in such a way. But the grammar betrays you, the syntax betrays you, and the history betrays you. The first century Jewish community was not using those types of categories right. for Messiah. Right. And no one's dying over a mystical energy that permeates all of reality. They're dying because they said that this man that you killed was the Messiah. That was the point. It was if if it wasn't that tied to Jesus in the early days of Christianity, everybody would have been fine. Rome would have been fine with it. Yeah. The, the, it's a, the it's Jewish a people thoroughly Jesus it. movement. Yeah. Um Paul's claim in Philippians chapter two is that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus, not Buddha or whatever you want to call it. Right. Jesus. Now, the Christians could be wrong. I could be wrong. Right. We all could be wrong. But if you're a Christian, this but is what you believe. the first Christians died for the belief that at the name of Jesus, right. who is the Christ, the Son of the Father. The, o the only name under heaven by which men can be saved. The name I mean, above all names. And so th this is the issue, and this is why Richard Rohr, it's why we showed so many clips, because he's such a good kind of distillation of this issue, that y you, you cannot just repackage a new religion with Christian terminology and then call it Christianity, which is what a lot of this is. It's cultural appropriation. You're right. They are hijacking first century Jewish beliefs I like this. and repackaging it for modern consumption. Yeah. It's complete cultural appropriation. And There's the thing that Richard Rohr does that makes that's kind of the worst version of it, in my opinion, or the most dangerous, partly because he's so likable and so popular, um, is, is he's basically taking New Age spirituality, keeping the terminology of Christianity, and then turning around and making it sound like this is what Christians have always believed until the modern world. Yeah. And it's ridiculous to think anything else. Um, and that, frankly, just we obviously we only have an hour long show, so we can't unpack all of this, but that just yeah. does not bear up to no. biblical exegesis, to the history of Christianity, to any of it. This is a because, yeah, brand new idea. Religious Jews to this day do not believe, many religious Jews who do not believe Jesus was the Messiah, they're still defining Messiah in the way that 
that the Old Testament scriptures are going, hey, look, the Old Testament, the Messiah is supposed to be this, this, and this, and it doesn't seem like Jesus fulfilled those categories. So the Christian's job is to say, we think Jesus did fulfill these categories, and you're just looking at it the wrong way. But we're still all arguing if the person of Jesus fits the job description of the Jewish Messiah. They're not saying, oh, you know, he's just the archetypical logos that's everywhere. It's like, the, it's not being fair to that culture in the first century. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. Now we're going to have to jump past a couple of videos because I, there's just one that I sort of want to finish, finish with, and we're almost out of time. I want to get time to show that sermon of Kevin's that we said we, if we had time, we could show. Yeah, there's, there's really no time for that to be It'd honest. Be too it's long to it's too long to, yeah, it's true. It's problematic. If we just started listing the problems with it, we would have had to start much earlier. Right. There's going to um, be a special episode when Sam takes a week off though. It's just going to be me and Sam's sermons. We record them, so I got plenty of material, man. It's going to be a five-hour special. That's that's fair. I mean, it all happened on your watch, though. It's Let's true. be honest. I it's think true. you bear ultimate responsibility. Yeah, but in my me. defense, like, I was falling asleep. I couldn't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> you walked through the room, gave two <laughs> thumbs down, fell asleep, woke up. How was that? No, okay, so w one quick thing. Again, to everyone, because it's easy just to, to pick stuff and see what's wrong. If you were to take any of our sermons... We say stuff that, man, it'd be like, oh, I probably should have said it differently. Right. There's been sermons that I get, oh, man, I, I, should, I, I said that wrong. I, and if someone just quoted it out of context. So it's always important to, to, to read the book, to watch the whole clip. And even if the clip you're unsure about it, watch a other couple clips so you can yeah. be sure you know what they mean. Because totally. all jokes aside... If all of us were to review each other's sermons, we'd be like, oh, dude, you should have. Yeah. That, yeah, that probably could have been been better. And because at our church there's multiple services, oftentimes we get to fix it by the second right. service because there's three of them or four yeah. of them. So, so if you come to first service, just know you're the guinea pigs for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Or sometimes the last one you're tired because it's service number three or yeah. four, and then you're just like, oh, man. Like Adolfo gave two thumbs down. He's, he's in Texas now, but he's been subject to the Isaac Serrano two thumbs down on many an occasion. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to end with a clip um, from a pastor who is uh, part of a, and explicitly they call themselves a progressive church in Michigan. Um, and the reason this is important, he's basically teaching the same stuff as Richard Rohr. But, but what you need to know, because a lot of conservative Christians don't realize this, and if you're a parent with, with young kids or teenage kids, you just need to realize this is not a fringy thing that you just have, you know, YouTube people and you know, authors doing this. Is, you're get, you can hear this exact same type of teaching that, in my opinion, has crossed over fully into heresy. Like we're beyond just a version of Christian Christianity sure. that I don't really like. Um, and it's being taught by an ordained pastor of a mainline denominational church. So, um, yeah, let's just let's take a look at what he says about Jesus. Well, let's look at it together. If you noticed in the gospel, Jesus is referring to terms: Son of God. Son of man, only begotten Son. And he says things like, all who believe in him will have eternal life. Why wouldn't he say, all who believe in me will have eternal life? Why is Jesus talking in the third person? You know, people who refer to themselves in the third person are often narcissists. <laughs> Jesus is not being narcissistic here. The reason Jesus is not being narcissistic here is because he's not referring to himself. He's talking about John 3.16. He's not referring to himself. 
Son of God and only begotten Son are terms for the Christ. And I've told you before, the Christ existed billions of years before Jesus of Nazareth was even born. When God birthed everything into existence and said, let there be light, there was the Christ. The divine DNA was infused into all of creation. God so loved the world that God gave us of its very nature, its own DNA. Jesus was a man from Nazareth who lived more than 2,000 years ago. And during his lifetime... Right, he, he goes on, but we should, we'll, we'll stop it there. Um, you see like what's happening here. It's yeah. the exact same thing as Richard Rohr. And yeah. it's interesting, I Googled this pastor and there's pictures of him hanging out with Richard Rohr. So it's mm -hmm. very clear that that's kind yeah. of the school he's under. But this is a Protestant um, mainline preacher, ordained minister who's teaching that exact same idea. Um, and if we had the time, there are so many theological claims being made in that yeah, statement. Yeah, it's so... I mean, the second person of the Trinity coming into existence at the moment of creation is heresy. Just that, that, yeah. th that the Christ isn't eternal. It's when God created the world, the Christ... Yeah, both Jesus and the Christ in that view are not only distinct, but they're both a part of the created order. Right, which is, which is so it's dangerous. It's like double Arianism. But the main point in showing that clip was more just to make the point that, that he's, this is a, a panentheist, not a, not a Christian, who is teaching in a church, a mainline church. You could move to a new town, look for a church. That's the church you end up at, and that's the teaching you sit under for however long you stay there. And so um, th these are, you know, it's another time with the last two or three minutes to talk about what are some of the things to look for. Um, if it's you or, again, if a, lot of, a lot of our viewers, I think, are going to be thinking about their kids. Um, what are the things to look for in a church to kind of guard against this or to, you know, maybe beware that a church might be moving this direction? Well, one, I would say, and I, I haven't thought long about, about this. I'm just off, off the cuff. But one, if you never hear anything about sin or needing to change or the spirit convicting you, yeah. um, there's probably a red flag. Yeah. Um, because the Bible sure talks a lot about it. If which, everything just makes you feel good about who you are already right now, yeah, that's a problem. You're all, you're already perfect just where you are, which um, connects to the second point I was going to say, because the Bible talks a lot about sin and right. needing a forgiveness. The second point would be if you're not getting high doses of the Bible. Yeah. Um, and again... That's been a recurring theme all three weeks so far. Really recurring theme. Um, and there's plenty of... Bible-believing, God-fearing Christians who go to churches with God-fearing, Bible-believing pastors that don't preach a lot of the Bible. So it's not in and of itself meaning this is a super, but right. we are people of the book. The book is what we, what we have. Um, and so if you're not getting exposed to the Bible in high amounts, that's probably a, a, another red flag. Yeah. Another one I would say, and you saw this in many of these clips, is if, you're, if it's a podcast you're listening to, a book you're reading, or a church you're at, um, anything that has low Christology is a danger sign for this. Meaning Jesus is talked about as primarily, you know, he's a human just like you. There, you can relate to him. You can do, you know, the things he does. Things that don't elevate him as God in the flesh. 
I think is yeah. a danger sign. And and you see a lot of that as kind of the early warning signs here. Um, yeah, and you you um I pray in Jesus name. Right. On Sundays I worship Jesus. On Sundays I come to take communion and remember the body of Jesus right. broken for me, his blood shed for me. We have a thoroughly Christocentric religion at the heart of Christianity is Christ crucified. Paul wanted to preach nothing but Christ crucified. Right. So if you're not hearing Christ crucified and physically bodily resurrected, yeah. probably an issue. Yeah. I have another clip that we don't have time for of, of Richard Rohr also kind of just in passing denying the bodily resurrection, which you see all over the place in progressive Christianity. And so if, if I, you know, just in closing, if I could say one thing, if you are kind of feeling yourself entering a deconstruction phase or you've been in one for a long time, that is, that's fine. That's understandable. We've both experienced time periods in our, our life of that. Yeah. Where you're examining your faith, you're pulling it apart, you're asking questions that you felt afraid to ask for the rest of your life. Um, do it in a careful, informed way. Um, and just know, and this is something that seems obvious, but it's not when you're in the midst of this, you are not the first person to wonder about whatever you're wondering about. Yeah. You do not have a new question about Christianity. You're not that smart. Right. It's not like you randomly stumbled upon, oh my gosh, I found this Bible contradiction. What am I to do? Like brilliant people smarter than us all have wrestled through it. People from different cultures and different times throughout history. have. Right. There is a history and wealth of information of people wrestling yeah. through this. And as you said, um, my, maybe my encouragement to churches and church leaders is we have to become the place um, where people can wrestle with this. Right. They shouldn't have to go off to college to be exposed to problematic passages in the Bible. And we should be able to think through those with and alongside of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you go to South Valley Community Church, please do not be afraid to come and talk to us, to the pastor you're the most comfortable with about I've been having these doubts. I'm rest. I, we don't want you to feel like you can't come to us or like, we're going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're questioning the inerrancy of scripture. Like you're not allowed to come to church next week. Like that's not going to happen. We, this is, again, we've been there for a lot of these issues ourselves and want you to know this is a place that you can do that. And again, just know, you know, if, if you're wrestling with the problem of evil, there's an entire book in the Bible. That's about that. It's one of the oldest books in the whole, in the yeah. entire collection. And um, again, all, there's nothing new under the sun your questions. There's a deep comfort in knowing the questions I'm asking have been asked by countless thousands upon thousands of Christians before me. So um, I'll give the name of that video, Kevin. Since I, They're asking for the Richard Rohr video. It's called Richard Rohr on the Universal Christ. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it's, it's in the same video, Michael, if that's what you were asking. Um, and again, you know, we're not misrepresenting his views. You can absolutely read his book, The Universal Christ, too, if, you, if you're interested in, in seeing it. But, but no, um, a, a pastor friend of mine says, doubt is a good place to visit, but not a good place to live. So deconstruction mm -hmm. is a process you go through. Um, it's not a place that you stay. You mm -hmm. go there, ask the questions in an informed way. One more awesome quote, G.K. Chesterton says, an open mind like an open mouth is good only for one thing, to be closed again on something solid. It reminds me of the great quote oh boy. from the early church patriarch, Aslan the Wise. Did you forget what your Aslan <laughs> quote was? I was just expecting you to fill oh, in the blank. I, I remember what it was. The Aslan video was, um, 
or the Aslan quote was, if you don't put spicy, if you don't put <laughs> hot sauce on your food, you're not a real man or something like that. Something right? like that, man. Hey, on that note, God bless you guys. We'll be back next week. Hang in there. <laughs>